Hello, everyone. How you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. Man, I am super pumped for this guest. I'm already, even before we hit pre-record, the energy is already high, and I'm excited to truly have a conversation and to be able to share it with, with, with all of you. This is someone who has truly been pushing my thinking around I'm going to say AI because that's the, been, been the hot take of, of the last year. But really, as as I've been thinking about it, and I think our guests here as well, it's AI, but in the, the realm of what it means for education and teaching and learning, as well as all the other things that AI brings out. And so I am truly honored for this guest. So um, without without further ado, Jason, thank you so much, one, for for coming on this show you are a busy man baby number two you're teaching you have a podcast you post on lincoln really th deep thought-provoking platforms and strategies I, I don't know how you have found a way to harry potter-esque uh, the workday into 40 hours but here you are with i know people can't see it a big smile on your face so for those that don't know who you are maybe we should start there i'm already getting excited ahead of myself <laughs> Who are you? What do you do? And what in the world do you got going on? Uh, yeah, and I'm so excited to talk to you and get to just talk about AI and, as you say, education, right? Because AI gets us to rethink education, I think, in yeah. some ways. Um, so for people who don't know me, I'm Jason Gulia. I'm actually, so my formal title is I'm a professor of English at Berkeley College. So I'm based in New Jersey and New York. We have multiple campuses. Although now it's just a lot of places, a lot of our presence is online. So a lot of what I do is e-learning. And that has been kind of formative in terms of how I approach AI and technology and everything like that. So besides that, what I really do is a lot of AI enhanced education. I'm certainly happy to talk about what that is. And I do some consulting work and, you know, I work with individual professors and also now increasingly just colleges and universities who are trying to wrap their heads around if this technology is going, is here to stay. And I think now there's just growing recognition that it is, it's not going to just fade into the, into <laughs> the sunset. Um, so if that is the case, how can we use it? Should we be using it in our classrooms? How can we use it in our classrooms? And a lot of what I do now um, is also, so talking to colleges and professors, but also students. Um, a lot of students are still, and I totally understand why, it makes perfect sense, struggling with whether they are allowed to use it, how they're allowed to use it. And of course the answer depends on the college and the professor and everything else. So I do a lot of that. And yes, I just welcomed baby number two. Um, so to answer your question in terms of how I do LinkedIn stuff, um, I have this weird quote unquote downtime, which is when baby number two can't sleep and I'm holding them and I can't fall asleep. So I have this, this ability. I have to do something. And if I don't like do something on my phone, I will just pass out. And that's obviously dangerous. <laughs> um, so that's the secret to my LinkedIn posts. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. And you said some, some couple things there that that's, that's really interesting. And so maybe, um, Gosh, I got a lot of things I want to talk about, but let's start there. You talked about even just in your, as, as a professor, your shift from, you know, kind of the quote unquote face to face and then moving to this e-learning. And then, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that that was the big 
hoorah, right? We can talk about COVID. I mean, we talked about e-learning education forever, but I think it really smacked people in the face when, when that happened and we don't have to relive those days by any means. But as you've seen that shift into e-learning and now here we are with, with, with AI, it got me thinking just right here on the spot. And I don't, I'm now I'm trying to process my own process of this is what have been some of the parallels for you as you've been trying to figure out not just conversations, but like the learning and the teaching format, because there, I think there's, there's some similarities and we've, we've been through shifts before. I think sometimes people forget that, you know, almost kind of like out of sight, out of mind. I always joke, like, you know, I don't, I don't remember a lot of my junior high days on purpose. Thankfully my brain like discharged those memories, but I remember other things, you know? And so what have you seen in that progression from moving to that e-learning? And then now we've got AI and I know it's not the same, but the, the mindset approach to how do we ensure that quality learning is actually happening? So I think there are a lot of parallels. And then there's one parallel that I think is starting to happen and I don't want it to happen. So I have I have parallels <laughs> and then ways I want them to diverge or convert. Yeah, I want yeah. them to go in different directions. <laughs> so I think that the big parallel was just quote unquote disruption, whatever yeah. that is. Although I don't think COVID actually disrupted much of anything. I think there was this return to normal, um, which is that's the upsetting part of it. Right. But this focus on email learning. And for me, you know, so my experience was when COVID hit and I had already been teaching on online courses for years. I was trained in it. I had like these seminars and I really, you know, I felt very comfortable with it. And so my heart went out to anyone who just was asked to just teach online with no training and no support whatsoever. But so we all had to move to this online learning environment. And I think that the positives that came out of it, there are obviously a lot of negatives, but one of the positives that came out of this was in my experience, there was this renewed appreciation for student-driven assignments, right? Giving students more power over things. So even after we started to come back to campus, I would go into a room, so students who sign up for an online class, sorry, for an on-site class, and they had options. They could show up on that day, right? Or if they would prefer, they could zoom in. We had a Zoom cam or an owl. We had technology that allowed them to be there, quote unquote, live so that they actually ask uh, real-time questions and get real-time feedback. And so I think that there was more and more focus on that, giving students options so they can be there in person, they can be online, they could do things asynchronous. And I think a lot of us, you know, we were in many ways forced to accommodate that. Now, it's just my general pattern. That's how I do everything. Right, I try to right. give as much leeway to the student as I possibly can. And I think that AI, or at least I'm hoping AI is going to allow for that level of personalization. Um, while also, and this is kind of my, my caveat, hopefully allowing students to enter a community, right? <laughs> enter an intellectual community because there, there are dangers of hyper-personalized content. You want students to be able to have personalized information and content and learning, but you also want them to learn how to enter a community of practice. Mm -hmm. um, so those are some of the parallels for me. Now, the return to normal is a parallel I'm trying to not have happen because when COVID hit, there were all these ideas that finally it's going to be the push that education needs and certainly the colleges need to focus on the student, give them options and change. And that didn't happen. It, like didn't at all. Right. After right. things started to get more normal, those options faded. Right? They just went away, whether students didn't want them or administrators didn't want them. And then there's this push to just have everyone on campus, which I get, like I, you want that energy. I, I understand the meaning behind it. 
but I think that we have this return to normal. And I do think that there are there are forces now trying to make that happen with AI, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we saw this with the American Federation of Teachers, right? Going in, having the, so they have their contract now with the GPT-0, I think, whatever, whatever right, AI right. program it is. And so they're going to try in some ways, they won't necessarily try to keep it out, but they're going to try to police it. And so I think that, part of one of the forces behind that is desire to return to normal right and there are still forces at the university level certainly that are just trying to keep ai out of the classroom if that is even possible i don't think it is Uh, but uh to try to return to normal so that's a parallel that i'm trying very very hard to not have happen yeah no i mean i think that's as you're as you're talking through that it, it it brings me back to a conversation i was just having with the district and you know and that idea of going returning back to normal and it's like we'll define that and a lot of times we can't we're not quite sure what that means it's like uh you know like we we think we know it's like we can feel it but i actually can't put in the words and then the follow-up i usually have is well then was was that working where's your proof that that was actually truly successful not that everything we were doing was bad that's not my point but the idea was you can go back to whatever you think is normal and you were still working through issues and concerns because it it wasn't operating the way you wanted. And so how do we, you bring that up. That's so spot on. It's like, how do we not go back to just the way things were? I think about it even like when one-to-one initiatives went out and we just went from, you know, paper worksheet packets and then we move that to like digital worksheet packets and we thought we did something transformational but the teaching practice and the learning experience didn't shift and even as you were talking you you just got me completely thinking about a lot of things that I hadn't really connected dots before around we see in the k-12 space a lot of teachers begging and asking for support around how do we help us engage students the student engagement levels are low and as you were talking, it kind of makes me think about COVID, whether we did it right, wrong, or indifferent, they had choices. And now we've kind of gone back to status quo normal, where now we have put so many constraints in, you know, to kind of go back to how we did school. They've lost those choices. And I think there's there's something there where all of a sudden it's like I had some freedom and now I, I completely have none. And I don't like that either. And so that's a, you've got my brain scratching already thinking about um, maybe those are some conversations I need to go back and 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 re- revisit here a little bit. Yeah, I think that one of the productive things that can come out of this level of disruption is a culture of experimentation. When COVID hit, so you know we started to return to campus a few months later, as most institutions did. I was handed for the first time like a truly hybrid course. So um, some students were online. Um, most days of the week. And then there were multiple campuses. So I would go to one campus and meet with students in that course um, who are on that campus one day. And then another day of the week, I'd go to another one. So it was cross campus, some online, some in person. And, you know, so they sent it to me and I said, all right, great. I've never taught it before, right? I, I don't think we actually even had them until really COVID hit. I think a lot of places did not. And I said to to my boss, you know, I just need to experiment. I'm gonna, it's going to take me some time to like figure out. And they gave me three of them. And so it was very much like this large experiment. And the answer was, yes, absolutely. Experiment, play with it, see what works. And I think I want to conserve that. I want to like have that be a part of it. And that is for many educators I talk to, that's a barrier. 
Sometimes they don't have time to experiment, but I think we have to, I think with AI, certainly we have to make the time. And part of it is being consistent. We ask our students to experiment all the time. Like that's that, especially in the, it's K to 12, certainly and higher ed too, yeah. that we want our students, you know, we give them something new. We do this all the time. We don't even think about it. We say, here's something new to read, something new to watch, something new to process. And engage with it, just experiment, test it out, whether it's in, you know, traditional assessment or non-traditional assessment. And so in many ways, we need to just practice that, right? We need to True. do that, yeah, right? Yeah. We have this new stuff. So experiment, play with it, iterate, see what works. And then you kind of go from there. And I, I think that we all have this desire um, from the instructor side for perfection. We We think that and I think this is an error. We think that the best way to serve our students is to give them a fully realized, polished product, right? Mm. Which is the course. But I think the exact opposite is true. I think something changes when you tell students that I'm trying something new. I'm going to try a different form of assessment. And I want your feedback about how it worked. I think that fundamentally changes the feel of the virtual room or actual physical room. So I think that the culture of experimentation is something we need to really, really conserve and prize because that's that's what we want our students to do. We want them to experiment and play. Yeah, I, it's it's gosh, I love that so much because it is what we ask kids to do, you know, eight hours a day or whatever the schedule might be. Like we, we, we redline them to be critical thinkers and creative and to collaborate and communicate and problem solve and, and process new information. That's just a, a good, a, just another lens to think about like, Hey, here's something new process it and then do something with it. And we do that the entire day, five days a week, 180 days a year. And then we don't always mimic that practice. And I, I, that's not a, a diss to anybody. It's just, I mean, the nuances of the day and all the things, like, how do we continue to model that? And I, I I love that approach. And, you know, the segue, I'll put this link in the show notes because probably by the time this goes live, you'll have 300 new ideas out. But you posted something today as of this recording where you were shifting an assignment you have just uh, revamped for, for your course or for your students. And I could let you talk about it here a little bit, but the last sentence is to me, of this, and I'll just read it and then I'll give my thoughts. And I would love to get your your thoughts on it too. Is you said sometimes the key to making an assignment AI proof is to create a better assignment. I am curious on this. I mean, obviously, you you just what you've just talked about, you have no fear to hey, let's learn this, let's get feedback. Tell me what's working, what's not. That's not the case with everybody, whether that's a, a lack of confidence, whether they feel pressured from the system, whatever it might be. How how do, how do you navigate kind of your thought process to look through your assignments? But then also as you're working with students and, and we're working with teachers or just people in general, because I think that's where the real friction rub is now. Like all of a sudden AI is hitting and it's hitting us on, on personal levels. We're like, oh my gosh, maybe my assessment practices need to improve. It doesn't mean that what I was doing was bad, well, maybe in some cases, but like it needs a facelift and, or maybe this approach needs to change. That is not easy. That is that is a hard and what some people say that's, that's what's best for kids. It's also personal because we have crafted our our style, right? To be whoever we are. So if you want to talk a little bit about the assignment for context, I'll I'll link in the show notes. But I'm just curious, like how have you built your mindset to approach that or or ideas for others that are that are stuck on that? Because I think that is to me right now in this moment, the huge friction of like, oh my gosh, it's doing these things. 
And I, maybe I don't even know how to shift my assignments. I think that's true. And for me, a big source of the friction is vulnerability. Mm. I think it's hard to be vulnerable. And when we go and we say, read this, give me a five paragraph paper, whatever, whatever the form of assessment <laughs> yeah. is, there's a confidence in that. We're pretty sure that that's going to be okay, right? It's not going to be the greatest thing in the world. It's not going to be the worst thing in the world. It's going to be very comfortable, very middle ground. And I'm trying to push myself to not give into that. And mm -hmm. one of the ways that I, I do that and I try to do it consistently is I use LinkedIn, right? Very unabashedly. I use it as a form of diary, right? Mm -hmm. I write most of my things just in the moment um, because I use social media. And this is the sharing part of me. I share information as a way to just process it. Um, now, sometimes that blows up, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I get pushed back and like, I try to be very honest just saying, oh, I'm just sharing because I'm trying to learn. I'm trying right. to, to help people out, right? These are not like fully fledged ideas. No one has fully fledged ideas right now. We're trying to figure things out. Um, so I share. And so what I did with that assignment, so it was for an art of film course. And this was... Um, I think like last week, I basically revamped it. And it is very much part of an experiment. Um, so normally what I did was, and I, I fit into that very traditional mode, right, for better or worse, I showed them the movie Inception. And, and you know, so anyone who knows it, it's this kind of oh, mind-bending movie where in the end, you kind of just throw your hands up. It's like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> right? that's, whole, that's the whole architecture of the movie is so that you leave confused. Christopher Nolan's point that he said in an interview was, if you feel confident of what happened, you weren't watching the movie closely enough, right? Mm -hmm. It didn't work for you, right? You missed something. <laughs> um, so anyway, so, you know, I gave them that movie and I gave them, you know, options for written assessments. Right. I had started to play with creative writing. Right. That was really my big foray into kind of changing it a little bit. Originally, it was just give me an argument. Here's the subject. So very traditional. Then I started to mix in creative writing. Right. So imagine you just got um, greenlit for doing a sequel on it. What would it look like? How would you put it together? Stuff like that. So and I think that was good for me. But last week, I decided to totally redo it. And give students other options so they can do the creative one. And I kind of uh, scaffold that in certain ways. But the big one that I worked on, that's what I posted on today, was creating a companion website. So I said, this is what I'm going to do. So imagine that, you know, you watch this movie and your goal is to create a companion website that helps people out. So, and I guide them through it. So I actually give them a template, a Word document. And so I guide them through, you know, trying to figure out what their, who their audience is and what their pain points might be, right? If you're a member of that audience, so you're, they can pick a college student if they want, whatever they want, right? It can be themselves, that's cool, right? So what's your pain point, right? Yeah. Is it that ending? Is it the wife's function in the movie, right? Like what kind, what kind of got you curious and something that, you know, you really were um, confused by or confounded by? And so I guide them through, you know, looking at that, trying to find a problem for your site to address, and they're putting this all into a document. And so it originally, eventually what they come up with is an idea for a website, a website that addresses that pain point for that audience. And so you can see these kind of different levels of thinking. And then I have them use Gamma because I have a pretty good, um, it's a very good platform. Yeah. And they also have a very good free trial. So students can get a lot of generations out of it. But Gamma is a website, sorry, it's an AI product that allows students to pop in that Word document 
They can either copy the, and paste the whole thing as a pretty good um, text window, um, or they can just upload it. And it will create a website for them. It will go, it will decide on the layout. They can share it with me. They can actually publish it online um, for free. They're not getting like a personalized domain or anything, but they can right. have a pretty good companion site. And then I have them evaluate it. So almost always, at least right now, AI is not creating an out-of-the-box website that we should be sharing. There'll be certain things like, oh, that didn't work, or um, you know, something is wrong about it, or it doesn't stick to their plan. And that's one of the things I really ask them to look at. You know, look at that mm. plan that you had. Did the AI generated one hit that? And sometimes, yeah, it did a pretty good job. Sometimes, no. Right? Sometimes mm -hmm. it missed it or it, it misunderstood the focus of the companion site. So I have them evaluate it. I have them revise it if they want. Everything they generate through the platform can be swapped in and out. They can play with images, text. Some of them will come in and say, oh, this website actually isn't accessible, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something that allows them to like think, oh, that I actually need to change this. And so it gets to that human side of it. And then um, one of the things I do increasingly now, so we use Canvas as our LMS. And I never really did this, but now it seems so obvious to me. Using that comment, section. I think that so few of us actually use it, but using mm. it as a part of the assessment, mm. right? So that I asked him to, you know, share that with me, share your reflections, all that stuff. And then in the comments, give me a very quick reflection on blank, right? So it can be, and I can give them options that they want, you know, did it hit your goal? Mm. Um, what would, you know, how did that feel? Sometimes the reflections like, how did that feel? So just what, because the, the other nice things about Gamma is you can, and this is different than a lot of AI generators for, for websites. You can watch it generate it. Right. It does right. it in real time in front of you. As you could see it go down the page. And there's something very emotional about that, that process <laughs> that I think is different than just here's the thing and then it spits it out. Right. Um, so watching it create it. So it can be that. And having it in the comment section, I think having students listen to instructions like that where they're doing multiple things in multiple spaces really moves it uh, moves the assessment up in terms of what they're thinking right because they're not just you know processing and spitting information back they're doing the evaluating they're doing the creative the creating or, or the co-creating if you want to call it that and so that's how i changed it and so for me and i know that you know there are some ways in which this won't work for a particular assignment but for me uh, Thinking about AI proofing in, I kind of use this very tongue in cheek um, because for me, it's AI proof because you're allowed to use AI, right? So if you use AI yeah. and create it from beginning to end, you're not cheating, right? right. If you're right. smart enough to figure out a workaround and to create an AI product like that end to end reflections at all, which first of all, probably took you way more time than just <laughs> right. doing it. But if you're able to do that, like, yeah, you get an A, right? Right. Um, so the AI is a part of the process. So. Yeah, it took some time, right? Um, and it took some time to like figure that out and put that together. Now, I will say that a lot of what I experience now with AI is that it's not really lost time, it's repurposed time. Mm. So normally with the essay form, I would spend the first hour looking, not even reading anything, not even like doing like what we all do and what, what we like, you know, giving feedback and engaging with ideas, but going through the Turnitin reports. Scanning them, finding information. I would lose an hour to two hours, um, you know, doing that, sending emails to students like, oh, it came up a 70% on Turnitin. So I'm not doing that anymore. 
I'm just now I don't now no longer have that task. So the the amount of time that I put into creating the assignment, I save later on at least a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think the big barrier is time and being able to experiment. I think that that's one of the reasons I try to share so that if someone wants to, you know, make something and you know, take something from my LinkedIn wall or wherever and use it, they can have like this ready, mostly ready-made thing. They might want to adapt it to themselves, whatever they're teaching into their own personality. But I think that sharing is a way to hopefully get more and more educators to experiment, just play with things and just adapt something like that. Because that's something that, you know, works now, maybe in a couple semesters, I have to shelve it. Right? Maybe it yeah. doesn't work for some reason, but for right now, it like works okay. And I, I'm trying to come to terms with that. I think that educators, myself included, tend to think, and this is not a bad thing, five years down the road, right? What assessment can I create today that I continue to teach one years, five years, 10 years down the road? I think that is the mentality for a lot of us. I get that. But I think we need to try to stave that off. I don't think mm -hmm. we can think that way anymore. I think that we have to be willing as a part of our job to change how we're assessing things if something does need to change about them. Yeah. You know, you said something that really resonated with me in there is that like that like repurpose time and as i'm thinking through this through some of the conversations i've led through workshops or just with educators is this idea of, and i get i get pushback on it and it i also agree with the pushback like how do we reduce the amount of time i call it like lower level kind of managerial type task work. Um, and not that there's not a place for it. You got to have foundational knowledge and skills to do higher level knowledge and skills. So, but I feel that like in the minutes we have with students, and I think this would apply easily to, to the university level there as well. We due to like limitations of technology and limitations of things that we've had access to, we've had to spend an interdate amount of time and just kind of like, depth and now DOK levels like one and two to get them there. And then by we're always like, gosh, I wish we could, we still have enough time to get to these deeper levels. Well, now I, like, like your assignment, I'm thinking about that where maybe you're not spending the two hours on turn it in, but because the kids are doing some meta-analysis on their thinking, reflecting on their practice, creating new things. To me, it's, it's not that you're, you're saving time, but that you, that word is so, I love that repurpose. Like how much better time spent for you and for the students now to be engaged in like reading their thinking having conversations about their thinking and then did the ai tool do what they wanted it to do like to me that's such a more enriching learning opportunity for everybody involved the educator and the students versus what we've done and you know i i when i was in the classroom i didn't have turn in at that point but i was i would copy and paste stuff into google and see if like keywords and i'm and i'm looking back and like man i was i, I wasted a lot of my my own time that could have been on more thoughtful stuff i mean that's just the, the reality of, of the gig and so i love that that repurpose of time i think that is a really really nice way to help educators think about how do we do some of those stuff that is it is kind of like that cognitive burnout that when you do have time, you're just like, oh my gosh, I just don't want to do anything. And now apply it to something that we really want to do. And that builds that human relationship. It builds that that human connection um, as a result of using artificial intelligence, which I think is always kind of like this, this ironic uh, relationship that if we can embrace it right, it does strengthen and, and, and calls out the need and urgency for, for more human intelligence and relationships. 
Yeah, I think the same way. And I, I try to coach faculty about burnout and how AI can help with me. So anecdotally, so from my personal perspective, I get burned out when I have to do something I don't want to do. <laughs> like that's that's when it creeps in right if i find something that is engaging so reading a student idea looking at a student companion website that they made or whatever the assessment is and really just engaging with the ideas i can do that for two hours and not be burned out but if i'm writing emails right mm. i can get burned out after half <laughs> yeah. an hour it's like, i just can't i can't do any more emails i can't just give me a phone call right just yep. like um so you need that just the shift in medium um or the big thing with me now is just zoom calls right just yes, good yes. like not, not this one but no i get you i get <laughs> like you in general the zoom <laughs> meetings that we all do um so yeah i think that one of the hopes i have for ai and i so I hope this will happen. I'm not sure because I do think there's going to be something that's called that I'll call like a tyranny of workflows. What I hope is that we'll be able to choose in the future our own workflows because I know people, I have friends who like writing emails. Like they do, right? They yeah. don't get burned out by that, but have a lot of trouble um, creating rubrics. And then I have friends who really, you know, really get into rubric creation. That's something that allows them to kind of process things, but hate emails, right? And so I think one of the first steps um, for a lot of us is going to be figuring out what we can automate that allows us to yeah, repurpose time, yeah. allow us to do actually the things that don't burn us out, that actually get us excited. Um, and an extension of that is helping students do that. Yeah. So one of the things that I do in all my classes now is I have a scale, right? So a scale of AI use. So basically number one to five, um, you know, one is, I might flip them sometimes I do inadvertently, um, but one is no AI right? Mm. Nothing. So like free writing, right? Free writing has to be all you. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's not, right. not going to do, it's not going to do what it's meant to do. It kind of pushes <laughs> against the whole purpose. So one is no AI and five is full on AI, right? Sometimes I might say, you know, you, I don't care how you generate it. All I'm going to look at is the product, use whatever, you know, and so that kind of switches it up a little bit, but all along the way, you know, I tell them, you know, it's a two. So AI is really useful for this but you might find it kind of pushes against you in this way a four and so you kind of walk through you know what yeah. a four means for that particular assignment and then one of the things i like doing is giving them a, uh, the ability to choose right so if they're working on their final paper right for planning right planning and brainstorming what number did you give it right and asking them you know saying oh, oh a three i really just kind of went on the ground or you know like i really really planning this be all me i really really wanted to be a one and giving students the ability to kind of choose mm. not just whether they're using ai but how they're using it oh, and how like it's that. actually being worked into their process and i think that that is an extension of what I think we should all be doing, right? Faculty should be doing um, in terms of figuring out how we can personalize our workflows. Because one of my worries is that down the road, we're just going to have these workflows thrown at us, yes. right? Like email, you have to do all through automation or like this, this, and this. And I just, I don't think that's using AI in a way that is optimal, at least for us individually or as a society, because I think that we're going to hit burnout once we start to do that, because humans are so different in terms of um, how we process and what we like to do. Um, so some things just shouldn't be, they shouldn't be automated even if they could be. Right. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it calls out like, will the systems allow us to have permission to choose our, our automations and, and, and our workflows? And that is something that I hope 
comes to fruition. At least I know in the K-12 space, um, I can't speak to higher ed, but the, the systems, boy, really do kind of strap down some of the freedoms that we think we want to be able to to have. And I like what you're talking about there. I, I don't remember who I was I was talking with, but the idea of, you know, I could maybe in the future have, this is, I say way out there, but it's probably not too far out, an AI robot that folds my laundry, right? Like I could, I could offload that task um, because I don't enjoy it. However, going to what you're talking about too, there is something about also on the flip side that when I'm folding laundry, I'm also like decompressing. I'm away from my monitor and the seven hours of Zoom. I'm not thinking about work or maybe I am. I'm. It's a, maybe a mindless task, but it's also important for the brain to kind of just reset. So maybe it's not, I don't get goosebumps going, ooh, the dryer just went off, but I need the body for, for mental health, well-being, just all the things. I might need that five to 10 minutes just to, uh, you know, fold socks which is the bane of my existence but there's something that's important to that too where i don't always have to be productive every waking moment of my life and i think you know that kind of aligns as as you were talking about workflows for our work i think just in, in in life in general too like it might help but there's sometimes some benefit to those, those, those tasks too. And so I think it's that, it's, it's that, that double-edged sword. I think as we're all trying to navigate this, you know, it's not all or nothing. These are the conversations we need to be having, the things we need to be, be talking about. Um, and then also realizing we are all different, you know, like I, I cannot handle email. I'm also not a fan of meetings. And I know I have colleagues that love meeting. They get their energy from being with people and the exchange of ideas. And I have meetings I do enjoy, but overall, it's, it's it's not really my cup of tea. I'd rather just get into action. Um, but that's not everybody. So it's I it's 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 really interesting as you're talking, um, thinking through all that. I think as humans, and this is a little bit of a generalization, but as humans, we demand breaks in our day, right? And breaks in our attention. I think that's one of the big things that's happening personally with self-driving cars. Mm. Right? Theoretically, yeah, we could automate a lot of our driving. One, there will be people who just like driving. Yeah. <laughs> they just yeah. like doing it. <laughs> and being on a simulator, it's not the same. Being in a VR universe, it's not the same. There's something about no. the feel of it. And then also just, and you know, get this, uh, you get to this with the example of laundry. We want those breaks in our day that those can be restorative. And there's something about yes. us that really, really requires that. That if someone were to say to me, you know, you have a self-driving car, right? Jason. Awesome. You won the lottery. Here's a self-driving car. You never have to drive again. Then what would I do if I actually said I'm going to use it? I'd sit in my car and I'd be on my cell phone <laughs> or I'd be on my laptop or I would read. It suddenly becomes an extension of the rest of my day. Mm. Like that's it. I'd be doing something similar probably to what I'd be doing at home. Right. And I think that that's where the like push against it, right, comes from. Because that I want to say, you know, I'm just going to drive to work. It's going to take me half an hour to, to an hour. And maybe I'll listen to a podcast. Maybe I'll listen to music. Maybe I just will just drive. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and like it. that's it. <laughs> and we get so caught up into it. Right. And the science says it too. We get so caught up in it that sometimes we don't even remember driving. Right. There's something yes. about that break that we are actually in um, optimal flow, even though I might not like driving, but there's something about that break that puts me in optimal flow so much that I don't even remember doing really complex things, 
right? Because I'm doing, you know, if I'm driving, I'm doing 10 different things at once and I'm signaling, I'm doing all these things. Yeah. Um, but we get so caught up in it that it's just like we create this headspace for ourselves. And I think that that's going to continue to be the case. And I, I worry about pushes or automation that basically make everything an extension of everything else because um, we need that break. Even as you say, you know, if it's just like just to walk away and do something different, I think that humans, we, how we are using technology is adapting. But in many ways, our fundamental cores are not, right? They adapt mm. extremely slowly, right? Yes. How we process yeah. information actually <laughs> adapts over a really, really long amount of time. You and I will not see it happen, right? No. Um, and so I think that that's just so key. That it's just, it's something about the human condition. We need those breaks in our day. And AI has the capacity to get rid of them. And I think that's that's one of the dangers that I, I don't think many people are actually talking about in terms of workflow, at least not no, that I've seen. Yeah, you're you're so right. And it reminds me of a lot of um I had a, on a previous show and then also just following his work on uh, Dwayne Matthews also. And he talks a lot about the the whole idea of that, you know, if we are going to save time or I like your phrase of repurpose time or say like the self-driving car. And now I've got to say I have this theoretical extra hour in my day that we don't give that time to the attention economy, you know, and he talks about, you know, it's, it's not that screen time though the problem. It's the algorithm, the apps on the phone, like the phone itself. If you, he talks about that, I think, think with this kid, if, if you take away all those apps and just have productivity apps, you don't really have a screen time problem anymore, you know? And so that just like that, again, that mindset of, you know, we don't have a, a, a phone issue. It's, it's, it's not falling prey to the attention economy. And as these, things continue to go the these big companies they know that that extra time is coming and so how do we ensure because it is important i just had a day the other day it was like an hour and a half drive and i just drove in pure silence i didn't i was like no podcast no music like and it was exactly what i needed i don't do that all the time you know i find myself singing out loud or learning from a podcast but to have that true just break from all the things and you know maybe you if I'm not driving, I don't know that I would be very good at giving myself that time. Uh, you know, you kind of need that, that forced, that force, oh, the laundry's got to be folded. Oh, I got to, I got to walk my dog or, you know, and so just thinking through some of that, um, I think those are some of the things, a lot of us are just trying to wrap our head around what AI even is, but thinking through our routines and and how do we ensure we protect some of that restorative time as, 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 as you called it. Yeah, it's the paradox of choice that if someone yeah. said to us, you know, you have complete choice of what you're going to do. Sometimes we don't choose what we want or need. Right? <laughs> we do it all of the time. I have an hour left in my day and I don't have to get any more work done. I can just veg out, relax, play a video game, read a book, whatever I want. What do I do? I do more work, right? <laughs> I get ahead. I, I make a decision that I don't want to do it. I don't really need to do it. It's not in my best interest. And we just do this all the time. Choice is so tricky. I think that we sometimes as educators and really just in general, we assume that if we just give, you know, full personalization, full choice, we'll make the, the decisions that, that we actually want to make. A lot of times there are just so many factors that go into it. If I, you know, if I'm driving, I might say, you know what, I'm just going to be in total silence, but I'm not going to do that at home, right? No. Theoretically could, it might just be just as restorative, but I'm not going to make that decision 10 times out of 10, right? I'm going to do something that actually isn't restorative at all. And, and yeah, choice is just it's more complicated than sometimes i think that we give credit to it is it is yeah and you know i want to i've got i want to be respectful of our time here i know we're, we're kind of drawn to to the top of the hour but i've got you know as we think about 
the the paradox of choice. The one other thing that I, I'm really interested in your insights on is, um, and this might be kind of a bad segue, but we're going to go with it. Um, you know, this, how are your students responding to the idea of, of AI and their learning experience, thinking about choice? You know, I think from my experience, and this is something that I, I mean, it's anecdotal for sure. I don't think we're having enough of those conversations. I think if we're the majority of us are still just trying to wrap our own heads around it. But I can speak on like my own three children. I have one in college, one in high school, and one in junior high. They're, I, I call them like like the uh, the generation of the unimpressed. Like nothing really impresses them anymore. Like they're just kind of numb to all the things. Which I don't know if it's 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 good or bad. Some days I think it's it's good because I don't have to like I know I can't wow them. But there's other times I'm like, man, you should be excited. Of course, they got nerdy me, and I'm sending them pictures like, "Hey, look at look at this awesome picture I just created," or whatever, and they're just kind of like, "Meh," you know. How like, I, I mean, I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around how how this generation is going to think about it. I know there's some skills they need, but as you're directly working with with college students, I mean, I'm sure like everybody that you get a whole gamut, but in general. Are they hesitant because of the the system has trained them like almost everything is cheating? I think about my son in college where I would watch him when he was home study video game playthroughs for hours upon hours upon hours so he could be better in his video games. And he enjoyed watching it and then applying it. And then he would do homework assignments. And I'm like, well, go do the skills you do for your video games. He's like, no, that's cheating. And like, I'm like, no, it's that's actually that's that's you're you're learning. Um, so how are you? your students processing that as you have your, your slide, your, you have a cool assignments like the inception where they're ha talking through this. I mean, I know um, not everyone's going, Oh, but it's the greatest thing ever. Cause they are, they, they have, they're a generation to be skeptical. They've, 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 they've lived through a lot of just tough things. And so I, I'm curious what, what, what you're seeing. And I know it's, we're, we're, we're one snapshot in, but um, I think we're, we're not bringing those voices out enough in general, um, as we're all having these conversations. Yeah. Based off of my own experience, I yeah. think attitudes are changing. Mm. I was astounded when, you know, chat GPT came out November of last year. It's been basically we're coming up on the year, right. the year anniversary. And I was actually fortunate enough when it came out, I was actually going into sabbatical. So I had three months to just play and learn <laughs> with this thing. And then I went into, you know, the following semester and I was astounded. I, I went to a classroom and I said, you know, I'm going to let you use this thing. I piloted it for them. And students were in a couple of camps. Camp number one was this technology is evil and needs to be shut down right away. Mm. I would say about 50% of my students were in that camp. So that's a pretty big chunk that they thought was just going to make us all jobless, that, you know, um, this was like the end of the world and we need mm. to shut it down as quickly as we possibly can. And another camp, as you mentioned, was the so what camp, right? Like, it's not like, okay, that's fine. We're, we're just used to this, right? Yeah. Um, I would say that um, when I first started teaching with AI just, just under a year ago, that was a pretty small group. I think that's grown, right? I think that now when I teach it, I have a couple of students who are really, really worried about it, right? And I think they're all worried about it in some ways, but like worried about it in a, a this is the apocalypse sort of way. I would say, you know, about a year ago, half my students might have a reaction. Now it's usually a couple, 
couple of mm. students. I think that now that this technology has been around with us and student, my students have seen it more at work, school, they use it on their own, they use it recreationally, they use it for their own businesses, right? A lot of them want to go and they're starting online businesses. Mm. And that's kind of increasingly the trend now with college students that that's a way to pay for college. Um, and so as they do that, I think now there is this feeling of acceptance. Um, so now the camps that I'm seeing are, you still have the so what camp, right? That's very much there. Um, and then you also have the camp, which is a little bit more cautiously optimistic. Um, and I think that for my students, at least, that is the vast majority of my students, that I show them something like Gamma, and they sit there and they say, oh, the things I'll be able to create with this. I think that now there's this, this renewed appreciation of that. Um, but I also think that now, and maybe it hasn't happened yet, but soon, I think-ish, we'll be moving out of that hype cycle. So I think we're going to see another change in attitudes. Because then what I sort of expect to happen is that so what to really kind of take <laughs> off, right? Like we've had this, um, you know, you can't like blow people away with AI. And myself included, I'm a part of this trend too. Sure. You cannot blow me away in the same way that you could a year ago, mm. right? So for me, one of the things I, I've written about on social media and I talk about is that I'm no longer impressed by AI products that personalize education. Yeah, and it's not right. But that's really actually really easy to do, right? Once you have the tech, it's really simple, right? It's just adaptive technology, right? Um, and you know, so don't show me that you're not going to impress me. I'm going to sit there and say, doesn't matter. Right. Show me how you build community out of it, right? Show yes. me how you do something different with it. So be like an additional step. And I think that my students, as far as I've seen, are moving in the same direction. Um, that it's moving towards a direction. Maybe this is a slight revision. Um, where they just demand more. Yeah. I think expectations are getting, they were so high early on and then they sort of like dipped and this is very much kind of a hype cycle. They yeah. sort of dipped and now I think they're going up again that we need use cases. My students want use cases, mm -hmm. right? They're no longer impressed by me saying, oh, here's ChatGBT, right? A year ago they were. They say, oh, that's really frightening or that's really cool or that doesn't matter, right? Now, a lot of the times it's, okay, show me what I can do with it, right? Yeah, <laughs> like right, if right. I can generate um, whatever it is you wanted me to generate with AI, how does that help me out, right? How right. does that allow me to create this workflow, create this product, create this thing? And I think that students are going to continue to push in that direction. And I really, really hope they do because I think we need to move in that direction, um, especially now when, and students see this too. You look online and you look at the number of AI products that have come out in the last six months, it's just like astounding, right? There are thousands of them. Um, but then you go through and say, oh, all right, how many of them have these use cases? How many of them are actually helpful for this audience, for this individual? And suddenly you just start crossing them off um, yes. really, really quickly and you're left with a few. Um, so I, I want, I'm hoping that students continue to move in that direction because that's that's what I've seen from my, from my own personal students anyway. Yeah, and I think that's how we that's how we all get better um, to be to be pushed on the ideas and push on the technology, whether that that's students pushing on it, whether that's ourselves pushing on it, and I think even society at large to continue to push on the the technology and the and the companies and the organizations and and start to say sh truly show me how it's going to help me. Um, you know, as you were talking, I'm thinking about yeah, you're a college student uh, at Berkeley, and you probably have. A little bit of student loans and so you're probably going 
yeah, you better you better show me some use cases and better show me how this is <laughs> this is helping my degree that I is is not coming uh, cheaply. I mean, and that's for for all universe, not just not calling Berkeley out. I don't even know tuition, but you know, I think there's that that to be able to stand up and go, you know, show it to me. You know, I think that's and that's what we need to do. Uh, continue as society. You know, we're going to use this. How do I know that? You know, the data is, is, is for all people. How do we know, or, you know, the ethics and I mean, all the things we need to consider. And so I think that's, that's, to me, that's exciting that students are are, are coming with that lens. And I hope that, you know, I think it from the K-12 and we can continue to build those, those key skills of critical thinking. I mean, the things we've always been trying to do for, for the longest of time, we, we bring that back and, you know, that just, whether it's AI or the combination of all the stuff, uh, you know, that, that's how the system moves in a better direction. Um, you know, some of that kind of that, that roots level advocacy, we keep waiting for the people in charge to make the decision that we'll, we'll keep waiting. Um, you know, so I think is the more that we can, we, we can push and adjust assignments like you've done and spread the work like you're doing. And I think that is the key to, uh, continue to keep that spark going. So Jason, I want to be respectful of your time here. You are a busy man and, um, um, I could gosh, just keep talking to you forever we could just do a side-by-side -side commentary on, on, on your post and that would that would be fun um but you probably have other oh, things to yeah. do <laughs> but you know <laughs> i always like to end with for those that are are listening they're out walking or if they're driving hopefully they're at a red light and they want to add you to their network of learning and people to follow which is i highly encourage them to all get in part of your your circle of, of learning because it's absolutely incredible you know where are some of the the best spots for people to, to get started to, to, to follow your, your learning journey because you, you're doing a great job of sharing. Oh, thank you. And right now, the best spot is LinkedIn. Uh, that's what I use for a lot of my connecting. I, I try to share and I try to engage um, in an experimental way. Right? Um, so try to do something a little different um, as much as I can with right, each post right. uh, within my own limitations and everything. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn's probably the easiest. I'm trying to get more and more off of LinkedIn, just, you know, engaging people with email. I'm trying to, I haven't created a newsletter or anything like that yet, but just like a, an email list, which I've started creating because I was, so my LinkedIn account was locked a while ago. So I remember like, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so LinkedIn's the easiest way to do it. And always, you know, for anyone listening, please feel free to reach out to me, message me. I am trying to help people as much as I can because it's an unsettling time. Right? I think that we glamorize disruption. Disruption is hard, right? It's hard emotionally. Um, so yeah, feel free to reach out to me there and we can always, you know, do email and things like that. That's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. Yep. Just, uh, and it won't be a, a Jason uh, email chat by it. It'll actually be, be him in the flesh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think at, I will at least ever. For now. No, I, just my, <laughs> I can never automate my social presence. No. I learned from like talking and writing. I, yeah. can't, I can't automate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for this conversation. This has really, really uh, made my day. I'm excited to get this shared out and uh, I know I can't wait, wait for the listeners to uh, follow your work and you've given us a lot of great things to think about so uh thank you so much for your time yeah thank you it was a pleasure woke up at six o'clock in the morning chilling with coffee mugs me and coffee chugs talking education all across the nation pushing boundaries thinking innovation <laughs>